Welcome back to Fintrepreneur. Super excited to have Hashem on, great friend of mine and doing incredible things in fintech. Uh, thanks for joining us, Hash. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's good to see uh, you again. Yeah, man, you too, you too. Uh, it's been a busy time for you. Tell us what you've been going through as of late with uh, your business that's recently rebranded. Yeah, indeed it has. I mean, it's been, I feel like it's been a busy two years, pretty much since we launched the business, but in the context of already busy, this has been exceptionally busy. So we um, we announced that we were rebranding the business from Edison to Rocket Mortgage Canada back in July, around July 14th. And then just yesterday, Monday, the August 12th is when we actually uh, flipped the switch. So that was a really a huge accomplishment for our team. Having been in around the mortgage technology space for a long time, it's kind of a tourism, pretty much every mortgage startup ever claims to want to be the rocket mortgage of Canada. And uh, we're finally the team that did it. So pretty proud of that. Our team's pumped and really just a big testament to, um, I think what we've accomplished over the last two years. That's awesome. And even prior to the rebrand, you guys were backed by Rocket. You guys were learning Correct. from Rocket in the US, right? So it's uh, it's really just a branding exercise. You were kind of using their systems prior to that. I would say it's a bit more than a branding exercise in the sense that it wasn't necessarily the plan or guaranteed. I think it was on us to prove that we could build the type of business that would honor what that brand stands for. And I think that really came, you know, came out in three key areas. One is probably most of all is client service, you know, being able to achieve, you know, so far 4.8 out of five Google reviews, Google star reviews, you know, with hundreds of reviews, NPF, NPS is probably currently 78, you know, being able to demonstrate the ability to grow. The mortgage business is still a very people intensive business of so being able to grow as fast as we are. Think reflects the type of execution that our team had. And then lastly, prove that we can drive innovation. So I think having demonstrated those three things, I think that gave the board of Rocket the trust that we could, I think, continue on that mission in Canada to be able to earn that brand. And then while I think that we have tried to borrow what we could from the US, we're really not using a lot of their systems because it, a lot of that stuff was really built dedicated for the US. And while the mortgage market does rhyme a lot. It's not the same. So we have um, we built a lot of our own tech from scratch, leveraging certain key pillars like Lendesk, which is another uh, rocket company, and you know Salesforce and a few other things. But what we've had the benefit of doing is you know a company like Rocket is basically the the outcome of like thirty five years of evolution, and we in a sense have had the benefit of intelligent design. Not to say that we were playing God, although, as you know, my name in Hebrew does mean God, but that's entirely separate. But we've had the benefit of looked at what's worked and what hasn't, and essentially been able to build from scratch and often really improve upon um, what they've done in the US as we've kind of undertaken this business. When you just said a moment ago that it was two years ago that you started, it's kind of crazy that it was only two years ago. Like, what's yeah. your headcount today? It's yeah, it's about two and a half to be precise. But yeah, we're at about 140 or 150 people. It's been a wild ride. I mean, I, I basically went full-time on Edison Jan 1, 2020. The thesis was to basically launch a business right away and then essentially work on it as we got there. So we launched March of 2020, literally the week that lockdowns happened. That's what kind of made this whole process that much more crazy. So initially it was a holy shit moment, you know, basically where, you know, we're we're doomed basically. But but then I think like many of our businesses, you realize that people are still, we're going to need the services and in our case needed them to a much greater extent. And so I think part of what has helped us has obviously been the surge in mortgage activity since COVID lockdowns ended. Although it certainly has been challenging building a business, building a team in that sense 
for all the positives of remote work, it also, you know, does make it hard to create culture, create engagement. And I think we've done a, a pretty good job with that, all things considered. So you've been building the airplane while it's in flight in turbulent air. Pretty much. And in fact, whenever I often, when I, uh, when I present to a team, I, you remember Goldeneye, the movie, not the video game. Okay. You remember that opening scene where Pierce Brosnan is like in Russia or somewhere in Eastern Europe. And he's like trying to sabotage some facility. And then he's trying to escape. He basically rides a motorcycle off a cliff skydives into a plane that's falling off the cliff and then lifts the plane up and escapes. Remember this scene? <laughs> I, it, I'm fuzzy on it, but that's pretty crazy. Okay. I'm going to send you the clip. So basically I described Edison as that. And again, not to say that I'm like Pierce Brosnan or James Bond, but yes, plane is off the cliff. <laughs> We're trying to get in the plane and get it to, to pull got up. Pierce Brosnan comparisons, God comparisons. Yeah. Like, you know, you know what yeah. Here. It either reflects really well or really poorly on me. I'm not sure. I normally don't put those two together, but it is what it is. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Hajar, I know that that Dave is, is super familiar with your business. You know, you guys are good friends. Like for someone that's not as familiar, tell me kind of what's the differentiator between you know you guys now as Rocket Mortgages and before as Edison, as opposed to other services. How did you differentiate yourself in Canada to really grow like this? Probably the single biggest differentiator comes down to service for us. Dan Gilbert, who's the founder of Rock Financial, later Quicken Loans, now Rocket Mortgage, have this saying that uh, you know you can't get you can't get your mortgage with air conditioning, which is to say that to a large extent we're selling a commodity product, and so the the biggest differentiator comes down to service. And from the get go, you know one of the things that we really adopted from Rocket is this is the the culture broadly defined by these twenty isms. You know, things like every client, every time, no exceptions, no excuses, these sort of isms that we live by that kind of define how we engage with each other and engage with uh, our clients. And so uh, service is key around mm -hmm. speed, around care, around providing clients the best advice. I think that, you know, as, as I'm sure you guys have experienced as well, technology plays a role and certainly plays a big role in, our, in both of our businesses, but you got to have really, really good service. So I think that probably is number one, that focus on service. Number two, I think when you think about the industry broadly, not just brokerages, the advantage of using a broker is choice, right? So if you go to a bank, that bank's going to only sell you their products. And they're generally pretty good, but they might not serve all solutions. So I think as a, as a broker, uh, you basically offer clients choice, which has value. And then lastly, it has been investing in technology to be able to deliver both choice and service at scale and do that scalably, that's a very challenging thing to do. I mean, you know, another thing that I often point out is that I think it's not a coincidence that Rocket Mortgage, the largest mortgage lender in the United States, evolved not too far from where the assembly line was created. In some ways, mortgages are like digital manufacturing. And so mm -hmm. the process that requires you to scale up a mortgage business is not so dissimilar than, than, um, than I think manufacturing. And so a lot of the investments we've made in empowering our people to be able to continue to offer that high quality service at scale, I think is an area where Rocket has really differentiated itself. And I think what we've, what we've managed to do as well here in Canada. How much easier is it to get a mortgage from Rocket than it is from going to your bank? I would say very much easier. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> Dave, you, you really see that recently got a mortgage, depending on what bank you used, um, it's still pretty common to send emails with like 20 attachments of your like most personal financial information. You know, that's still a common thing. And while that may not be 
so difficult. It's certainly like relatively unsafe. And you got to like send an email follow-up and you've got chains of like 20 emails with like 20 attachments each. And you've got all your, you know, all your wife's stuff. Another example is the, the fact that, you know, you and I can order a Domino's pizza right now. And then, you know, we can know like when it goes in the oven, when it comes out of the oven, like when it's in the car and when it's at your house. But for a mortgage, you're like, you can go weeks sometimes with like no idea about what's going on. It's like, am I going to be able to buy this house or am I going to end up squeezed last minute without a mortgage? And that, again, that visibility into the process can be really opaque. And I think largely people kind of accepted it because they don't know any better, but there are experiences that we are now able to have in, in other parallel areas. I think sooner or later, people wonder, like, why? Like if I can do it with a $20 pizza, why can't I do it with the, with the most stressful, most significant financial transaction of my life? And I think that's really the type of service that we're what we're delivering. So Hashi, you think we can uh, take a step back a little bit and sort of learn more about you? Because I think part of the podcast, we love to hear sort of the story before the, sort of the, the, the big business. Were you always in this sort of field uh, in mortgages or in finance or sort of what, what's your story at a high level? I wasn't always in mortgages and funny enough, you know, my, my career started in a similar spot to Dave. So Dave and I went to university together. We both did finance at UBC and then Dave went down the path of entrepreneurship probably a bit sooner than me, but I started off, uh, we both started off in finance. I then went into venture, which is kind of a more, was where my first exposure to, to startups was, and then started chomping at the bit to, you know, start my own business. I briefly actually started a business with Dave. Those were good times, but wasn't ultimately meant to be. And then I ended up partnering with another friend, and he had this vision of building a family investment office around his family's assets. And part of those assets involved a small mortgage business. At the time, it was $7 million in assets or so. It was uh, late 2014, early 2015, around the time that real estate really started to take off in Canada. And that, and that, was, that was direct mortgage lending. That was direct mortgage lending. Dollars of loans. Yeah, that's exactly. right. Exactly. That that was a business called Neighborhood Holdings, and it was really um, what's called private mortgages. So, people mm -hmm. that often need mortgages for a short period of time, often only one year. Often, people that are cycling between some other permanent source of capital, either selling the property or temporarily before they move into a, a longer term bank mortgage or similar. And that was largely a mom and pop kind of business. And I think what we were able to do is bring a level of sophistication around the capital raising around the capital structure, around the execution, the scalability, the, you know, the B2B marketing. Today, that business has got about 400 million under management. I think it's, yeah, 20 or 30 people. I ran that business until 2018, along with, uh, you know, my partners. 2018, I handed over the reins to um, one of our other partners, Taylor uh, Little, who has done a fantastic job continually in that business since and has really kind of seen its biggest growth to date. And then I joined Alex Conconi, my uh, my other partner in that business, as CFO of Lendesk Technologies. And Lendesk was a business that Alex had been building along that same time. And it was really focused on building mortgage technology for mortgage brokers and mortgage lenders. Around that same time, Alex started a conversation with Quicken Loans at the time. And what started is just a introductory conversation, quickly turned into an acquisition, and then Quicken bought Lendesk in late 2018, and then I was there for about a year, and I started shopping at the bid again, and um, really essentially pitched, you know, the Rocket board. I connected with a Rocket exec that had been there for 20 something years. He had this sort of vision of taking what Rocket had done in the U.S., what Lendesk technology was doing in Canada, and basically bring it together to create what would become Edison. 
And that happened in early 2020. So that's kind of my path going from, from finance to entrepreneurship and to the mortgage space. That's awesome. A very interesting story. One thing kind of snowballed into the next, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, funny how that works. Looking into the near future, Hash, um, I understand that Rocket you know, has plans to evolve in Canada. What are your plans over the next few years? I believe you're working on becoming a direct lender. I don't know if that's public info or not. Correct. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That was in our press release. Okay, great. Uh, so let's talk about that. You know, how does that change your business and what you can offer customers? I think it has the opportunity to really dramatically improve the client experience. And I'll give you the basic framework as to why. Today in the broker channel, you have you know a bunch of independent salespeople and advisors, mortgage brokers, and you have a bunch of these model line lenders. They, they just lend, they don't deal directly with clients. And in the middle are technologies like Lendesk. But for many reasons, innovation has been largely siloed. So you know, brokers are making digital applications and websites, but they can't necessarily connect that experience all the way to the lenders. And the lenders are investing in like broker technology, but it's separate from Lendesk. And Lendesk is trying to get both sides to adopt. And this is Lendesk and others in, in the same category trying to get others to adopt the same tech, but you know everyone's kind of on, on, a, on a different page. And so largely innovation has been siloed. And as a result, the consumer experience is disjointed. The only mortgage lenders that offer basically end-to-end or have the potential to offer end-to-end experiences are banks, right? They have both the retail origination, they have the adjudication, and they have the funding and everything else. But of course, banks have challenges around innovation, They've got legacy systems, they're conservative, and they're highly regulated. So I think the opportunity exists for us. Basically, we were able to bring both the origination and the lending under one roof in partnership with Lendesk. We start to be able to do stuff with the client experience that that you couldn't otherwise do. And so I'll take it back to my example of the, the Domino's pizza. The reason you don't know when your mortgage is in the oven is that you're dealing with the broker and the broker doesn't know when the lender puts it in the oven or when it comes out of the oven because they don't have unified systems and there's no way to communicate. So it's not that people haven't thought about that idea. It's just that it's impossible with the technology that exists that you'd have emails flying all over the place or you'd have like Excel files. And so by putting it under one system, we can now start to have documents, for example, rather than email them to the broker, then the broker uploads them into some internal portal Documents can go from the client all the way to the underwriter and back. And status notifications, every step of the way, you can be notified of what's going on in your process. And that, again, that's only possible um, being as being a lender. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Let's talk about the macro environment for a sec. I'm thinking about two aspects of that. One, the mortgage market, rising rates, demand for mortgages, what you kind of see there, how you think about that. And two, um, just generally tougher equity markets for startups like is that yeah. changing the competitive landscape in the in the industry that you operate um what are you sort of seeing on those two fronts so starting with the uh, rate environment for for mortgages there's no doubt we've seen nearly unprecedented speed of increase in rates and that is certainly having an effect on on our clients i think that when you think about the mortgage market broadly and Canada is quite different than the U.S. in this sense, is that really a, there's some share of the market that effectively renews every year. And that is probably something on the order of 25 to 30%. And then you've got... So what we're seeing is we're seeing, for example, a decrease in some areas, such as refinances. So refinances are a little bit harder to make sense when, you know, when, people, when prevailing rates are higher. So we've seen the rate of refinances fall. 
But we've seen the rate of renewals actually increase as people maybe are considering renewing early to lock in some amount of lower rates if they expect them to keep going up. And as well, just sort of being more conscious of the offer that they have with their current lender, maybe seeking out a broker to try to find them a better rate. And secondly, we are seeing continued activity on the purchase side. I mean, there's no doubt that housing markets are slowing, but I think that as we start to see housing markets correct to a certain extent, I think you're going to see people that still have a large demand for housing start to want to transact at you know levels of affordability. Hopefully they you know, weren't able to achieve earlier. So all in all, it's definitely going through a change. I don't think that it's going to have uh, such a dramatic effect. And ultimately for a business of our size, you know, we're still a tiny drop in a large pond. You know, I believe that our, our growth is going to be more defined by our execution and our ability to really take market share in a sense than it is necessarily the macro market. And then when I think about the environment for startups, I think that, you know, you've seen this as well. I think often in, in situations like this, I think that there's a blowout of some of the lower quality stuff that happens. I think good businesses can still get funded. I think businesses that have strong existing partners like ourselves have an advantage. In the mortgage space, in the Canadian mortgage space in particular, there is a remarkable number of new entrants right now. I was actually just talking to a, a colleague and we counted no less than 10, 10 new mortgage startups in the past couple of years that have raised money or are trying to raise money and are trying to become a lender, offer a new digital experience. And for a relatively concentrated market and for, for a period of time when there's been not that many, there's a lot of people all at once. And so I think that's going to be challenging for some that don't have strong funding, especially considering there are others that have gotten substantial funding. So I think, again, it's going to be a, a tale of haves and have nots. Good businesses are continuing to get funded. Investors, are, I think, can look through the ups and downs and, and fund those businesses. But for businesses with weaker business models or weaker results, I think it's going to be a, a struggle. What's making it attractive for these kind of new entrants, right? Like one thing that we all kind of know is that mortgages are pretty concentrated in Canada in terms of the brand loyalty to the big banks, yeah. right? And how the yeah. portion of mortgages that are done with those banks as opposed to others. Is there a shift there? Is that what people are seeing that, that there's sort of a room for servicing mortgages a bit differently? So I do think that there's a shift going on right now. And um, BMO actually put up some research that showed it's always hard to pin down exactly the amount of volume between brokers. I'll give the example of brokers as, as a reflection of changing consumer preferences. But I think the stat that they had is since 2010 or something like that, the share of brokers, the share of mortgages originated by brokers has gone from about 22% to about 49%. Wow. Yeah. Quite a big shift, a shift, you know, a reflection of consumer preferences, maybe away from their existing institution just because. And, and you're you're right. I mean, in Canada, the, the most trusted brands often are banks, whereas in the US, it's often technology companies and banks are much lower down. So there is a there is a, a preference there, but we are seeing some shift there. And I think some of these startups have caught on to that. I think secondly, um, the size of the market is definitely always an appeal. I think. Again, there's different estimates of this number, but I would imagine in 2021, it was on the order of 500 billion in annual origination. And because it turns over relatively quickly, right on average, every three and a half to four years, it's a relatively high level of flow as compared to the actual number of, of debt outstanding. And I think that people seeing that it largely hasn't changed. And I think that those th probably three things are signaling to, to entrepreneurs that there's an opportunity here. And you know, you can even just look at experience in the US versus Canada and you can observe that much of the technology that's already been proven there hasn't come over. For example, 
digital income verification. You know, you still are giving pay stubs and job letters and these things which aren't inherently necessarily super robust or certainly not convenient to obtain when there are more accurate ways to verify income. I mean, the fact that if you, you know, use TurboTax, you can download all of your T-slips instantly by authorizing through the CRA. Like, why, why can I not do that for my $20 tax software? And again, not my you know, million dollar mortgage. Yeah. So I think people are, are sensing that there's change coming and they're kind of, um, you know, trying to be the leaders in that space. Hash, you're a fucking baller at cool. business. <laughs> yeah, and analogies recently are my thing. I haven't even given you any analogies yet, but yeah, analogies, <laughs> comparisons, really kind of working on those. Well, you had the James okay. Bond and the God, so. Oh yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I actually, my team enjoys my analogies so much. I started to keep a list of the analogies <laughs> that, I, that I created. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear some of these analogies. Another one that's common, I think this refers to growth, and I often have to sort of explain this to you know our board, is that um, you know growing a business this quickly is like trying to boil a kettle while also adding water. You know you're essentially trying to grow or constantly adding mortgage agents, but those mortgage agents inevitably are not going to be as skilled as our current ones. So it it might appear like the kettle never boils, even though you are in fact actually you generally have more energy in the water, but you're always keeping the temperature you're always sort of lowering the temperature by adding cold water. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast with scaling. You can often go for growth or you can go for efficiency, but it's often hard to do both at once. Yeah, that's a good one. The third one is that um, with lead gen, and especially trying to scale lead gen quickly, is that um, inevitably it's like um, it's like low-hanging fruit on a tree. You know, you start obviously picking the low-hanging fruit because it's easiest and it's cheapest, but you can't always just like buy more trees and like just keep picking the low-hanging fruit. Eventually you need to figure out how to like buy a ladder and get the fruit further up the tree, which inherently is more costly. So to scale, you need to find a way to be more efficient because inevitably your cost of customer acquisition rises, especially related to how fast you grow. And so it's always a sort of balance of like buying more trees or you know climbing up the trees that you have in order to find the right balance of like effectively like unit economics. It's a good good one. Yeah, cool. a lot of a lot of focus on on customer acquisition, leads, sales. I guess that's very much it. so. Dude, yeah. What drives your business. So yeah. These are all noted down. I'll, I'll start using them. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Great. So Hajim, we, we always like to end on a on a really deep question here. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with it here. So we're talking to you 10 years from now. Yeah. What would you looking back, what would you be pumped that happened in the mortgage space? Uh, or just in, in in finance in general, I guess, but you know, whichever one you'd prefer. I'll go with the mortgage space because it's kind of definitely where I'm focused. I think the thing that we would be most proud of is really demonstrating that a massive success is possible. I think that everyone's so used to the banks being so dominant. Not that I've got anything against the Bidenians. I think they're they're fantastic businesses and they're really great partners of ours. But everyone just kind of accepted accepts that 80% of the pie you know goes to them, and everyone sort of like fights over the rest. And I think demonstrating that. That a strong vision around technology, having the the courage to imagine a dramatically better future in terms of client experience, in terms of execution, can deliver a really a transformational business in the space. A business that's doing north of fifty billion a year in origination, I think that would be a big win and a big validation. I think of the vision that we have for this business and what we can do. That's inspiring, man. That's exciting. Thank you, and that's one of the cool things that working working with a group like Rocket is you know they they operate on such a massive scale. I think in 2021 they did 300 billion of U.S. mortgage origination. They did more than the entire Canadian mark mortgage market. One group, 
So when you're talking to that board and you're like, Hey, we want to do, you know, we want to do a billion. They're like, you know, not interested. (laughs) (laughs) The level of, the level of perspective is big and it kind of lets you as an entrepreneur imagine, you know, it kind of permits you to think bigger, which in some ways you're always trying to be reasonable. You know, I just want one, just want 1%. Yeah, exactly. It is a very Canadian way because you don't want to like seem too cocky or something or, or you don't want it to be extra embarrassing if you were to not succeed because you put out a big vision. And I think that being permitted to envision that and go for it, I think is kind of, it's, it's a bit terrifying, but also very liberating. Yeah, it's exciting, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that hits home, eh, Dave? I mean, where we're at with what we're building, it's, uh, you know, a lot of it is forecasting and trying to see kind of really what are we aiming for? And, you know, that mentality and kind of aiming for the stars kind of a bit cheesy, but you know what I mean? Like, don't, you know, just say, uh, I don't know if we can do that. I don't know if we can do it. Really kind of aim for it is it, sort of, it's it's exciting to hear. Recently, um, was at uh, like a YPO learning session thing. And uh, there was a guy who spoke about goal setting and he comes from a very Silicon Valley background. And he talked about, you know, just goal setting being fundamentally broken in most companies where everyone's incentivized to sandbag the goals, you know, smart goals, right? Just like and measurable and all that. Um, But he's like... uh, screw that, let, you know, shoot big. Right. Like, and if you miss, it's okay. And, t- and, you know, incentivize people to not be afraid of missing basically yeah. And, yeah. and structure their comp accordingly. Like it shouldn't be all about hitting your goals. Uh, right. Hitting right. all your goals, your goals suck, you know, it's like um, that OKR uh, approach. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, but they, they can't be way too crazy to the point that they don't even mean anything. Right. But like, you know, you know, they want to be, pretty difficult and pretty big and, and inspiring most of all, I think. Right. And I also think that there's also a question of like having a big goal. I think that what can be different between a business, like let's say yours and like mine is mine is a, a business that needs a, a ton of capital to grow very quickly because, you know, the customer acquisition is instant and the payoff is longer. Yours is not so dissimilar, but people can have a big goal, but not be required to raise money from a venture, like in a venture style to achieve it. Like you can imagine an aggressive annual growth rate 30, 40% that is achievable in every year, but over time leads to a massive outcome. And it still forces you to think, what am I going to need to do today in order to have a business of that size and that time? And like thinking about like leadership, you know, our business is both people intensive. You need to be always thinking of like, how are you cultivating or recruiting the type of leadership at every level to be able to grow these teams as you're either going to need the right kind of leadership development or recruiting you know, thinking about lead gen, I'm going to, I know I'm going to need, you know, 10,000 leads a month or whatever, five years from now, where do I get those? What are the partnerships I'm going to need? And so I, I think that to your point is you can still have a, a more reasonable goal. It doesn't have to be 300% this year, but still require you to sort of think about, you know, thinking about scale. Yeah. I think having big goals doesn't mean that you're impatient about it. Like you have right. to be ambitious and patient because you can't rush, you That's know, right. growth of a business and, and building a business. Things take time. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's more about like a long-term big end goal, not necessarily achieving it within a year or two. That's right. And then and then laying laying the foundations along the way to make sure that you can achieve that big goal because I think a, a business that's let's say three times bigger than yours isn't just like one that's linearly scaled out, right? Like things have to change along the way to do that. Investments of technology, like I said, you know, leadership development, different sort of types of leadership leadership, different lead sources. And so it forces you to think through that stuff um, as you're going that and thinking ahead. Let, let me yeah. ask, let me ask you guys that question. 
you're looking back 10 years, what is a vision that you would be really proud of for your business? Those are not the rules, Hash. No, I'm <laughs> Sean said I could. <laughs> Dave, I'll let you go first. Sure. Um, our company's mission is um, bringing the most convenient financing experience to small businesses. And 10 years from now, it really should be the click of a button. And you know, think about the amount of time we can free up and the amount of stress we can dial down for busy small business owners and level the playing field between them and larger businesses. I think that um, they're often at a disadvantage to the bigger companies, um, but we can go close that gap very significantly, I think, over the next 10 years. And we all want to see a, a world that has a lot of small businesses in it as opposed to just a few big ones. Yeah, I think that's just a, a better vision for society. Yeah, agreed. I love that. Along the same lines, it really... You know, in 10 years, if we look back and you see that big businesses really adapted to the mentality that technology is the only way to kind of stay relevant and fighting it's not going to lead to anything, right? right. It, you know, we're so behind on the uh, on the buying experience in the B2B as opposed to B2C. So I'd love right. to look back and say, hey, man, we really got, you know, not, not us, but like as an industry, we really get to a point now where buying in the B2B space is just as simple as it is in the B2C space. You know, that, yeah, that's probably mine. Cool. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that that analogy that you gave in your first podcast, I, it's funny. I never really, I never really made that connection between like net sixty payment terms in a commercial setting and mm -hmm. buy now pay later on the consumer side. It, it, that, for whatever reason, that like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. It buy now pay later seems like such an innovation, but it really is just kind of like, hey, like, do you want to buy net sixty for consumers? Yeah, and that that really clicked, and then enhanced sort of going now the other way having the same experience from consumers happen for businesses also makes a ton of sense. So that really resonated. I'm glad. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time, cool. Ash. Really yeah, no problem. It. Yeah, it was great having you on, Hash. Thanks a lot. Um, it's my pleasure. That's it for this episode. And we look forward to having you back listening to Venturepreneur. I'd love to be here. Thanks, everybody. See you guys.